My name is Eric Haskins. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it truly is uh, my honor and my privilege to bring the word of God to you this morning. I'm excited about it because I get to talk about, brag about, share about two women that have had a huge impact on my own life. The first woman I want to tell a couple stories about, the first woman I want to tell a couple stories about is my own wife, Linda. Don't worry, all these stories have been 100% Linda approved. All right, and believe me, being in ministry as long as I have, we have that arrangement, even with my daughter. So, and as I thought about how do I arrange these stories for the message this morning, I'm like, well, there's been, there was a series of questions as I thought about our early days of our relationship. So we're going way back, way back to like the 80s. All right, and the early 90s of my relationship with my wife, Linda. And as I go back and I think about that time in the very early stages of our relationship, there were a series of questions that shaped our relationship, that caused me to think about certain things between Linda and I to take those next steps forward. The first question, very obviously and very basically, is who is that? That question came about after a high school Sunday school class where I'm, I'm in Sunday school in the high school group and I stood up to share a prayer request about my mom who was about to have a pretty serious surgery the following week. And there was this particular girl there at that time who had this laser beam focus on me. You know, one of those that you begin to feel really awkward about? Like, what, do I got something, egg on my face from breakfast? Did I dribble on myself? What, what's going on here? One of those kind of laser beam uh, staring focus on me. After class that day, after Sunday school that day, this girl is walking away, and I go to a mutual friend, because I saw her talking with her. I go, who is that? And I found out that was Linda Retzlaff. Made a note. All right. Fast forward a couple weeks. A couple months, actually. A couple months, because that was right early fall. And a couple months later, it's Christmas time. And it's time for the infamous Christmas drama, right? If you're a church kid, grew up in the church, high school youth group typically had these Christmas pageants. We called it the Christmas tea. Non-negotiable, you had to do it, right? You had to come to it. High school kids put it up with um, various interesting stories behind the scenes, believe me. During that time, Linda asked me, as we're coming into church that evening, preparing for the Christmas tea, Eric, do you have anyone to do your stage makeup? And I'm thinking, no, I don't. And I probably, as I walked inside, grabbed the makeup from the mom who was really going to do it and gave it to Linda, right? That was a good move on my part because it was the first time Linda touched me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you, you get it as she nervously put on my makeup. Fast forward a few more months, it's now around Valentine's Day. And as a good church kid, we are in the front seats in the 6 p.m. service. And as a good church kid back in the day, we were passing notes to each other during the 6 o'clock service. Yes, the days before cell phones and Snapchat and all that stuff. I don't know how we survived, but we did. I get this note that said my name on it, I opened it up and it said, it was from Linda, and it said, do you have a Valentine? And I remember thinking, Eric, don't screw this up. And I very energetically and nonchalantly at the same time said, no, I don't. 
Now, truth be told, truth be told, I was seeing a girl at school, and I was seeing a girl at the camp I would volunteer at weekends in Wisconsin. But in that time, when I got that note and read it and knew it was from Linda, it still seemed like the right answer was no, I do not have a Valentine. Don't worry, that was before I knew Jesus. That's, that's all good. <laughs> Fast forward a number of years later, and it was at a camp in Wisconsin as I was dialoguing with one of my spiritual mentors there. It was through a question of, Eric, what are you doing after Triton? I was going to Triton College. I have an associate's degree in photo offset technology. I know, who would have thunk that, right? Write that down, look it up later. My goal coming out of high school was to have my own printing company. So I went to Triton to get a degree that would lead me that direction. My spiritual mentor was leading me maybe towards Bible school, seeing and, and sensing maybe a call of God in my life. And I remember him asking, Eric, where are you going after, after Triton? Maybe you should go to Bible school. Maybe there you can meet a nice girl. I remember pausing, like going, wait a minute. I don't want to meet a nice girl. I want Linda. I don't mean it that way, but you know what I mean. And that was a decisive moment because later that summer, I asked Linda to be my wife. Fast forward a couple, about a year after that moment, and we, this happened. And next month, we celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary. Right? I know, look at those crazy kids. Yeah. Ten years after getting married, our love was expressed to one another again, and we came home with this little bundle of joy named Maya. Right, one of my favorite pictures of her on the left there, right, those cheeks, and she still hates when I grab those cheeks of hers, right, and just, you know, got to do it though. Now, why do I tell you these things? Why do I tell you these stages of development in our relationship? And what we're going to see today is that a growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. A growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. And this is true for you, is it not? Think of your spouse. Think of your ongoing relationship of development with your own children. Think of your best friend. This is true for you, I bet. Things, there are things in your life, there's things in your relationships with the closest ones around you that take you to that next step, that shaped it, that honed it, that, that helped you to say, where, where do I stand with this? And I wanna take that next step forward. And when you think of it, you realize that a growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. And it's here this morning that we, I now get to share on one of the other women in my, in, that, have inf, that has influenced my life to a great degree. And that is Mary, of Mary and Martha, the sister of Lazarus. She literally has influenced my life over the years if I, as I have watched her through the scriptures. And it's because in Mary's life, we see what happens to a life. We see what happens to a heart that has been completely captivated by Jesus. A heart that has grown in intimacy and has allowed that intimacy to so transform her, to so transform her life that it blossoms into this beautiful expression of love towards Jesus. It does this even at great risk, cost, and criticism to herself. 
John 12, if you have a Bible, feel free to open up there. We'll be continually going back to this passage. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, understanding the context here adds a little bit more of the beauty and richness to this amazing passage. Because when you take Luke's account and Matthew's account and combine it with John's account, you find something extremely interesting. You find out that they're having this festive affair in the house of Simon the leper. And if you remember your New Testament history, lepers were outcasts. If you were in the presence of a leper, if you were in their house, if you touched something they touched, if you touched them, you were considered unclean. So because this whole group is in his house, it is safe to assume that this is another person that Jesus healed. Another miracle that Jesus made and transformed someone's life. And we have another celebrity at this table, as you heard, Lazarus. And we find out that on account of Jesus, Lazarus is now again enjoying dinner parties again. Because remember, he suffered with that little thing that we call death. But this is when you want a best friend like Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty, best, pretty good best friend, don't you think? Raising your best friend from death to enjoy dinner parties again. And just picture this. It's a festive affair, a time of telling amazing stories of what Jesus has been up to in the surrounding land. The disciples were there, we know. And they're probably telling their crazy stories. You would not believe this and that. And we were able to see this. How Jesus changed lives. How Jesus is literally transforming them from the inside out. And to some degree, if we stop and think about it, you and I, if we are growing in our intimacy with Jesus, what we just described should be the norm for how we talk and share with both, with both those inside and outside our faith. As Sue Ann shared and invited us to participate, sharing our story of how God is, is interacting with us, of how Jesus is transforming us, it's so important. And in many ways, this is very freeing. It takes the edge off of manufacturing and thinking, oh, I don't know what to say. Just simply share your story. Share your struggles. Share your doubts. Share your questions. Share the joys and the victories for sure. So in the midst of this, in the midst of people living and sharing and celebrating how Jesus shaped your lives, here's what happens next, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So during this festive dinner, Mary does something that is not only lavish, but when we step back and consider her larger way of life with Jesus, her actions are extremely convicting and revealing. What do I mean by that? Well, every time we see Mary in the scriptures, she's always in the same place. She's always at the feet of Jesus in some way and for some reason. In Luke 10, we're told that Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And those of you who remember the story of Mary and Martha, the famous story, you remember that Martha is all worked up in a lather in the kitchen. And Mary is just at the feet of Jesus, 
listening. And I'm always struck by how it's Martha that invites Jesus into her house in that passage in Luke 10. But it's Martha who leaves Jesus there in the living room and goes in the kitchen. And eventually she gets so worked up, she comes barging back into the living room. And she not only accuses Mary of not caring, but more so, she accuses Jesus of not caring. And if there's anything that shows that her heart was not in the right place, it's accusing Jesus of not caring. That shows, I think, that's a clear diagnostic of the state of her heart. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you're so worried and upset about so many things. Martha, yes, I love your matzo ball soup, but it's not the time for it. Mary is doing what is better. I've been on a long trip with the guys, and I, I just want to have some downtime with you as my best friends in the world. I, I, I just want to share some stories. I want to share questions that I have. I want to just be with you. You don't need to do all these things. These things, in fact, Martha, if I'm honest, these things you think you're doing for me, you're not. You're doing for you. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Powerful story. Then a little later in John 11, Lazarus has died four days previous, and word comes to Mary through her sister as she meets um, Jesus on the road, and Martha has a little dialogue with Jesus, and he says, where's Mary? And Martha goes back, gets Mary, and this is what we find in John 11. She, Mary, fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Notice Mary again is at the feet of Jesus, this time in desperation and sorrow, recognizing that Jesus is someone special Mary is doing now at this point. We see the sign of growth. She went from listening to Jesus to now recognizing that there's something special about Jesus because she testified, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have done something. I know that. I believe that. But there's always room to grow in our understanding of Jesus. This definitely is a step forward on our journey. But just when we think we have Jesus figured out, just we, when we, I'll put it this way. If we think we have Jesus figured out and this is Jesus, guess what? That's not Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't fit into our boxes. And Jesus says to Mary, Mary, Actually, I'll back up. Jesus doesn't say anything to Mary. And this is one of the beautiful things about this passage here. What does Jesus do with Mary in this case? Weeps with her. Did you catch that? In her sorrow, Jesus doesn't lecture. Jesus doesn't tell her how she has little faith or how she should have more. Jesus weeps with her in her sorrow. That is beautiful. That is Jesus. And I'm often reminded, and I want to remind us, if you're in that place where Mary was, that things around you, you just go, I don't know how to figure this out. Jesus, I just wish Jesus is there with you. You may not see him right now. You may not feel him right now. But know that he is weeping with you. His heart breaks alongside of you. I don't know what he's going to do or when, but stay with it because he's not far Notice again in our key passage for today, John 12, Mary's habit of being at the feet of Jesus 
This time she is there as an act of love and devotion. Because as we've been saying, a growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. And in this case, Mary pours out an expensive perfume over the feet of Jesus. Nard was expensive because it came from the northern region of India at that time. And it was a reddish hue to this perfume and a very sweet floral scent, very powerful. And it probably filled the house very easily and then went out into the neighborhood. And people could smell it as they walked by. And not only did she pour it on his feet, but we're told in Matthew that she also poured it over his head and it ran down over his shoulders. And then we read this, what from our perspective may seem a little odd. I mean, doesn't it that she then began to take her hair and wipe his feet? Seems a little melodramatic if we're honest, doesn't it? But culturally, this was very edgy and dangerous. Normally women didn't let men outside their family see them with their hair down especially respected rabbis. And maybe this is a sign of Mary's comfort level with Jesus. Or more so, maybe Mary doesn't care about social norms as much as she does invisibly expressing her love and devotion to Jesus. Maybe Mary doesn't care about social norms as much as she does expressing her love and devotion to Jesus. Now if we pause here and if we review uh, Mary's spiritual formation, we see a path of Mary's spiritual formation in three different ways. Luke 10, we see listening. She's getting to know Jesus, just sitting at his feet, receiving what Jesus would desire to share. We see John 11 recognizing there's this growing understanding of who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And then we see expressing as an outworking of the first two. In John 12, and as we've been saying, a growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. And John goes on to tell us, not everyone is moved in the same way or impressed by this outward expression of love towards Jesus as Mary was giving. In verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now make no mistake about it. When we develop in and express our intimacy with Jesus, there are all sorts, we will receive all sorts of criticism and consequences. When you begin to show a relationship with Jesus, how it has shaped your life, and if you allow your relationship to Jesus to actually shape your life, there will be tension. When you practice Sabbath and live into uh, uh, not, not a human being, but not a human doing, but truly being a human being by creating a space of Sabbath, having some downtime, there will be tension. When you begin to carve out times of extended silence in the same way you schedule a round of golf or, or you have your daily Starbucks, there will be tension. When you begin to view all of life as God's gift to you and you are simply a steward and then you have to make tough choices of what do you keep and what do you give away based on Jesus' sacrificial life given for us. There will be tensions, make no mistake. 
I want, to notice the, I want us to notice the similarities here in the passage I referred to earlier in Luke 10. Both places, Mary's being accused of wasting something. Consequences for intentional actions of love towards Jesus. In Luke 10, Martha was accusing Mary of wasting time with Jesus. Here in John 12, Judas is accusing Mary of wasting money on Jesus, resources. And notice how intentionally Judas points out the cost of the perfume, a year's wages. Now let's put this into perspective. You were wondering what the heck was going to happen with all this. A year's wages. If you take the minimum wage in the U.S. right now, it's $7.25 an hour. And you multiply that by 40 hours a week, multiply that by 52 weeks in a year, you come with just a hair over 15,000. This is a cart of 15,000 pennies. Imagine pouring 15,000 of anything at the feet of Jesus as an act of love and devotion. And when I read this, every time I read this passage, other questions come in mind as this act of love and devotion for Mary. I wonder, when does she decide to do this? Where was this perfume kept? Was this a family heirloom? Did Martha know? Did Lazarus know? What was their response? The people in that room, they knew the cost of it. It was obvious. It had a very distinct scent, a very distinct look on it. Nard did. What was their response? How loud was the gasp? But it didn't matter. Because from Mary's perspective, Jesus was well worth it. I don't know the answer to those questions. We don't know the answer to all those questions. But we do know how Jesus responded. Verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. It is Jesus who defends Mary, not others, not Mary herself, but Jesus. When you intentionally put Christ at the center of your life and attention, there is no need to defend yourself. Lean into it. Yes, there will be consequences, but in his way and his time, Jesus will do the defending. In Matthew's account, notice what Jesus says. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Notice this. Mary took what she had and offered it to Jesus. And Jesus changed it beyond measure. This happens over and over again in the gospels, does it not? A widow bringing up two small coins and giving it, and Jesus says that is worth more than anything else all these rich folks have been putting in the offering today. A boy with a few fish and a few bread, Jesus multiplies that and feeds 5,000 people plus. And here Mary starts with something very costly and precious, offers it to Jesus, and Jesus does what he does so well. He enlarges it beyond what we could have imagined. And literally, here we are, just as Jesus said, 2,000 years later, being inspired, 
being encouraged, being challenged by Mary's example of followership after Jesus. It's beautiful. In my own life, I've seen this, my own personal journey with my dad's alcoholism, something that is definitely evil, something that is definitely a tension in my life, and it has been going back to my earliest years. But every time I share a piece of that story, even last time I was up here, I believe I was sharing uh, about our Celebrate Recovery program, and I wrapped in how my dad was an alcoholic. I always have people come to me afterwards and say, Eric, can we meet? Can we have coffee? I want to hear more of the story because my mom, my dad, my spouse, my child, they struggle as well. And Jesus, in his way, takes that story, something that is bad in my life, and uses it to further deepen my forgiveness. I'm still in process of forgiveness of my dad. My dad passed in 07. He's no longer with us. But I'm still working on forgiveness with Jesus. And for me, every time I share and every time I meet and every time I, I give praise to what Jesus is doing, it's another way that Jesus drives that deeper into my heart of forgiveness. It's something only Jesus can do in his beauty and power. So as we learn from our first hidden figure, I have three questions for us framed in the pattern of Mary's spiritual formation of listen, recognize, and respond. And with each question, I'm also offering to us what's called a breath prayer. A breath prayer is just as it sounds as a short little prayer you can pray and meditate on throughout the day. And usually a breath prayer, typically, traditionally, the first part of it is as you inhale, you just claim a, a, one of your favorite names of God. And as you exhale, you just, you just share and pray and ask a desire of your heart. So the first one here, listen. Learning from Mary, how do I consistently, when I ask us, how do I consistently practice sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing the Spirit to transform who I am? How are you sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening? What's your practice? And I say that word intentionally, practice, because it does take practice. It's not going to be automatic like flipping a switch. You have to learn perhaps different spiritual practices to do that. And the breath prayer for this is simply, Lord Jesus, may I listen for your voice. Imagine praying that throughout your day. Lord Jesus, may I listen for your voice. Recognize one of the keys to growth in any relationship is recognizing where it's at, what's the condition, and what needs to happen to go forward, right? If you hang around with me in any, any venue around here outside of Sunday morning, typically you're going to know the picture on the screen because you've seen it somewhere I've been, whether you've been on a retreat with me, whether it's been in a class. It's one of my favorite pictures to share, and we call it the kids in the tree. And the kids in the tree, here's the question I want you to lay over this picture because it's so very helpful. What child in this tree best represents, best illustrates your relationship with Jesus right now? And why? I encourage you, this week, today, take some time sitting with Jesus, listening, journaling, and reflecting on this. Sometimes we don't have words to put into our spiritual life. It's just we don't, we're not wired that way. But we can point to a picture 
And we can say, I'm, on the, I'm the kid on the bottom with his head spinning. And that can say a lot. Or you can say, you know what, recently I'm the kid just kind of leaning on that branch. I've been kind of lazy in my relationship with Jesus. Moms and dads, imagine pushing this picture in front of your kids at the dinner table and saying, kids, how are we doing as a family? How are we doing as a family who calls itself followers of Jesus? Be ready for the responses. It could be a huge learning experience for you and a growth opportunity for you as a family. Respond. Oh, sorry, back up. Breath prayer for this, for recognize the breath prayer. Lord Jesus, simply lead me closer to you. Imagine just praying that throughout the day. Respond. What outward expression can demonstrate your growing intimacy with Jesus? A helpful way to consider this is think of your time, talents, and treasures. How do you organize your time, talents, and treasures, and how does that demonstrate your commitment to Jesus? That might need help to dialogue about it. You might have other questions. I, I love, uh, Pastor Dave is preaching on our classic side this morning. I love the question he gives us. He says, when have I wanted badly enough to serve Jesus that I have been willing to risk my reputation and my resources in front of others in order to bless Jesus? <laughs> That's a big question. I love that question. The breath prayer for this, Lord Jesus, may I visibly love you. Imagine praying that throughout your day. Lord Jesus, may I visibly love you. Imagine Imagine if we lived in pursuit of Jesus as Mary did. Imagine if we sat at the feet of Jesus to listen, what would we hear? Imagine if we recognized who Jesus is and what he longs to do in our lives, who might we become? Imagine if we responded with the same reckless abandon to express our love and devotion to Jesus in the same way that Mary did. Who might be drawn to Jesus. Imagine how a growing intimacy shows itself with an outward expression of love. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, may we listen to your voice. Lord Jesus, lead us closer to you. Lord Jesus, may we visibly love you.